I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode 58 of the Grindhouse podcast with Dave and Matt. 58 years of Grindhouse. That's amazing. Has it really been that long? I well, want to throw back to all the old hosts, taking it back to the 60s and yeah, all those it, um, Ed days. McMahon, I think, was one of the original Grindhouse uh, hosts back yeah. in the day. Art, and, uh, Art Bell got his start here. Wolfman Jack. Wolfman a, lot of, Jack. a lot of radio greats uh, went on Gene to Simmons. better things. A lot of people don't know before he was in Kiss. That's was right. One of the early hosts of the Grindhouse podcast. We're, we're holding on a legacy of reviewing movies from the perspective of actual artists. That's right. They, uh, he uh, had uh, Paul Stanley was a guest. Uh, Gene Simmons was interviewing him because he had done an indie film. Uh, That's right. And uh, which was actually called the the Star Child, which is about a, a man who used uh, as a child would stir up at the stars, and then he. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Well, he he would kiss them. He he would make kissing faces at the stars, yes, and that's how they got yes. the name Kiss. And, Yes, and uh, his father, it's a story about him and his father particularly trying to understand why his son has this obsession with kissing the stars. And it's great. It's a great feel-good, coming-of-age drama, thriller, black comedy, um, art house films. Great. Paul Stanley's one of his best works, I think. And to your point, Paul was a guest on one of the early years, in the early years of the Grindhouse podcast when Gene Simmons was the host. And legend has it that after that, after their little interview, you know, Gene was like, hey, man, uh, what are you doing this afternoon? And Paul was like, I want to rock. And it was like, OK, man, let's let's, let's start let's a band and name it Kiss. That's right. So it's that's just, right. It was like and that. Like just they knew they already knew. It's just like, let's start this band called Kiss. And he's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Dude. And they did it. Like, and now like, here either, we are. At, looked at after episode 58. We're going to look at the Oscars and we're going to kiss the stars. Help you right. kiss the stars. Kiss the because stars. We know the media has been podcast. kissing the ass of the stars <laughs> for like months now. I wish "kiss the stars" was a phrase. It sounds like maybe Let's start it. If you're gonna give someone a knuckle sandwich, you're about to kiss the stars, man. Is that like a thing? Oh, or, or like when you get to a, a stoplight, you know, and you see another car and you rev the engines, they're like, "Get ready to kiss the stars, man!" And light turns green, you, you jet, you know. Jimi Hendrix kissed the sky. Think of how That's, how much well, more successful he, he could have been if he had kissed the stars. That's right. If he just waited a few hours, yeah, he, he could have kissed the stars. It could have been big. It would have been way bigger. <laughs> so did you watch the Oscars at all? I did did you kiss I, the stars and watch the Oscars? <laughs> no, I, I didn't watch them this year. I was, I was working. How dare you? Working on the artwork. Well, it was, uh, it was a normal pomp and circumstance, as you would expect. Um, but the big sort of, I think, talking point coming out of the Oscars was that a foreign film, the first foreign film to ever were, uh, the first foreign film to ever win Best Picture, Parasite, cleaned house, took home a ton of awards, uh, including Best Foreign Film, Best Director, Best Picture. I mean, just an amazing, amazing film from Bong Joon Ho, and uh, it's got it's got the internet a buzz, as they say. Oh yeah. I've been seeing some memes, you know, on the internet. YouTube videos. <laughs> I haven't seen any YouTube videos. Well, I've seen one. Well, you made me see. You made me watch. One. I made you see it. And I'm dumber. So I'm not going to. Think. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give this guy's name out because he's an idiot and he should go back to obscurity. Yeah. But there was one fella who was 
who was quite angry. There was more than one, but yeah, you, you had me watch a video of a guy ranting that he was mad that it won Best Picture, and I'm not too happy I watched that video, but you, you also are the reason I watched Parasite, so you're you're actually ahead by one that, right now. Cause that, there you go. I'll, you got to take so the good I'll with forgi- the bad. That's right. I'll forgive you. But uh, it, yeah, this, so- this happens every time brown people win something or get cast in something. You've got these guys on YouTube, uh, channels like The Quartering. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, um, no. I tr- what was, what was this guy called, the one that you sent me? He was I don't know. Something, I think it's it his name. But he, Cheeto, Cheeto, the Cheeto Finger yeah, channel, they're, maybe? They're usually chubby-ish, whitish guys that are just like, they use the word woke a lot, and uh, they just complain. And uh, he was his, yeah. his, the, the 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 sort of core of his argument, having never watched Parasite by his own admission, wow. was that it won both foreign film and best picture. And in America, best picture needs to go to English speaking. He said he'd have been fined if 1917 had won, which is funny because it's not an American film. It's an English film, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a foreign country. Yeah. There, I've never been there. Foreign to me. Robert nope, Storms was his myself. name. Yeah, if you like, if you like uh, bald, gingery guys that wear flat caps and and rant a lot and say woke a lot, check out Robert Storms on YouTube. Don't check out Robert Storms. <laughs> don't he, that guy. Don't give him any press or love. He's an idiot. And honestly, like he's, it's he's, channels like that that really inspired me to create a podcast like this because. What I would like to do with this and what I think that we do really well with this and based on the feedback that we get from our fans is that we're, we approach when we review movies from the perspective of people who work in the art field who not only appreciate art but actually have contributed and be it sculpting, be it graphic design or photography or film, we, are, we understand how the sausage is made, the vegan sausage is made, so to speak. <laughs> and... Um, and so guys like that, like they're just they're just these angry reactionary fanboys who have zero context with the mastery that goes into making a film. And Parasite, to me, was a prime example of of craft, like master craft in filmmaking, from the script to the um, camera yeah. direction to the acting to the to the the tension. I mean, it's a fantastic. Fantastic film, David. Kind of sounds like you're saying that uh, ranting into a webcam on YouTube in your, um, you know, man cave room is a, a lesser art form than the kind of cinema that Parasite well, and, and that you make. And, uh, everything is a lesser lesser art form than Parasite. That was a really and, good movie. And, yeah, it was really great. I mean, it was really excellent. Yeah. No, listen, I, I I'm all for creating and furthering. The conversation. I mean, we wouldn't do this podcast, regardless of our perspective, if we didn't believe in furthering the conversation. Film critique and conversation is what makes cinema so fun. It's what takes your two-hour experience it and makes it a, an experience that can last for months. However, being some angry, uneducated, Cheeto-fingered mouth breather ranting about how your favorite action you know marvel movie or dc movie didn't win because <laughs> america that is not an art form that is being that's just laziness and you you offer no value to the field or to the art form whatsoever you're sitting on the sidelines with the zero lacking any cojones to put anything out into the world 
that is of value. I, now there are some some I don't know how long we should stay on this subject, but there there are some YouTube content creators that are that kind of thing that uh of course that that do some really important work. I want to point out guys like Jim Sterling, uh the Jim Quisition. He's uh one of the biggest critics of the video game industry and um his his work has uh, actually helped restore ethics to an industry that like punishes its employees with crunch time and terrible work yeah. uh um to, you know just just grueling hard work that they've been like forcing on this industry for so long right. And uh, criticisms from guys like that have uh, actually like changed that industry and uh, pointed out a lot of, and um, he was one of the bigger criticisms of like gambling and, and games and stuff that was starting. Right. Uh, I don't know. There, there's, there's some people who can do important work with the webcam and a YouTube channel is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. In fact, I would argue that any person, regardless of your status, that has a microphone in front of you and the ability to put your opinion out into the world, you actually have a great importance you you have the ability to motivate people and educate people and, and to your point with Jim Sterling, have real change. Or you can bitch about stuff that you don't have any right to bitch about. You gotta imagine these guys when they're just like watching some out some trailer coming up or they hear about something being produced, you know, like what? Some of the actors in The Witcher are gonna be non European. They just must get so excited, like, time to go to work. You know, time to make the donuts and they're just like <laughs> How am I yeah, gonna act mad it's, it's about like the, this? It's like any it's, any. it's like the only thing that gives them any sort of yeah. value or or like uh, um, status in life. Yeah. So there's a new comic book hero super team coming out, and one of the one marginal character in the film is not white like they are in the comic book, or or is female instead of male, and they're just like, yeah, bread and butter, here I come. <laughs> you know, it's so, well, it's such funny a that lame it's. Thing. F- yeah, well, it's funny that we're talking about all this because, and it's ironic that he had such an issue with Parasite winning because this guy kind of exemplifies some of the themes within Parasite. Oh, how and so? One of the thing, well, well, so one of the things in Parasite, and there will be spoilers. This movie's been out. It won much of Oscars. Go watch it. Okay, yeah, but more than that, let's say like we really want you to watch it. So pause us right now. Yes, <laughs> and go if you watch don't want to be spoiled yeah. before you see it. Yeah, and I'm not going to get into. I'm not well there'll be spoilers whatever yeah but one of the things in Parasite it is a film that is is directly commenting on on class struggle in in a three-tiered system Uh, you have a rich family that lives at the top of the hill that has this really beautiful home then you have this poor family who lives in a half basement where they can they have half a window right like they could peer out and see part of the sky, but it's it's you know it's just a portion of their one window that they could see out of. And then there is a reveal that there is a third sort of family that is living completely subterranean. And as the title would suggest, uh, it, it it poses the question as to who is the parasite or who are the parasites. And I would argue that the answer is they're all parasites to one another. The rich living off the rich family living off the labor of you know the working class that buoys them up that drives them around that babysits their kids that teaches their kids right they have no real connection human connection to these people that provide them so much of their luxury you have the family that cons the rich family into moving in and being on their labor force and then you have 
you have an actual person who's literally living within the walls of the house, right? But to, to circle back to what this guy Robert is doing and, and just sort of this this cannibalism of, of people all just shitting on one another to try to get some sort of status, there's a scene in the movie where you have uh, the Kim family fighting to retrieve a cell phone that has a, that would that has a video that would expose them to their wealthy employers and you you see a physical conflict between the guy who's living in the basement underground and the Kim family that's mostly underground but has a sliver of light still and they're all fighting over the crumbs left behind the family that lives in a house with a giant head to toe window I think that's right and I think that that example is a great one because when the um, the, the the man that lives under underground and his wife uh, do recover the camera, they um, or no when they when they're first holding it before that fight breaks out. Yeah, right. You see them; they're kind of picking on the Kim family. They're making them do stuff. You know, they're like this is like a missile launcher, and they're making jokes and they're having laughs at the expense of this other family. And I think that that is one of the themes. I think the main theme in this film is that it really doesn't matter where you are in your status. People will exploit the people beneath them. They absolutely. They, yeah. And, and it's like, um, because when that, when they just, when they discovered when they, when they were in that house and they were, um, the, the, uh, the, the wealthy park family was on vacation and, um, they, uh, the, the old housemaid comes back and they discover that her husband has been living underneath the house and, all that they uh, they don't have. I I was expecting to have this sort of sympathetic, as she's saying, please feed him twice a week and just let him live here. I I assumed that right. knowing how f- fragile their own situation was, there would be this by the grace of God mentality where they're like, of course we'll feed him because you know we're just lucky to have this, and of course they're the reason she lost her job. Uh, and so I th- I assumed there'd be something you know some sympathy. No, immediately they're like, we're calling the cops. We're getting you out of here because they've got that status where they can, they, it's, it's kind of this like clear the mess away thing. You know what I mean? It's right. Uh, yeah. As soon as there's any, the, the, the way they got these people to lose their job was as soon as there was anything questionable about the driver or the house, or the, the housemaid, they just clear them away. Just shoo. You're gone. No, don't, don't tell them why. Don't give them a reason. We're, we're firing her. Don't tell her the reason. It'll be easier if we just get rid of her. And it seems that yeah, right. that's that's what this movie addresses is that that tendency that we all have to just go, I don't want to deal with other people's problems and just kind of shoo things away if we if we have it within our power. Well, there's there's such a fragile hold that people have over the limited status that they that they're that they possess and that there's a real anxiety and fear of slipping down the rungs of the ladder, so to speak. Right. And. You could argue that uh, that the way that the that the elite class keeps the working class down is by maintaining that sense of fear, right? You know, this guy on yelling on YouTube, his whole argument is that it's a foreign film, right? There's an underlying sort of racist component to his argument, whether he's conscious of it or not. But it's those kind. You know, we we see this all the time in America. You know, uh, what, what's the old adage? Like people coming from Mexico to steal our jobs. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. They come in, they came in to take our jobs. I mean, it, it's these people who are living in trailer parks and near poverty. And they, there's just this fear that they have that someone in a lower status than them is going to pull them down to that subterranean level. Right. 
And um, and that infighting between the, the two lower classes is what is what allows a wealthy class to exploit them so easily, right? Because you're, you're constantly fighting for the crumbs, and in your infighting, you don't realize, which we learn to realize later in the film, that this wealthy family thinks so poorly and and so um, views the work and views their laborers in such an inhuman manner that it's like even the smell of them disgusts them. Yeah, he's right. Even he the, talks about how Kim uh, almost crosses the line. He, but he never crosses the line. And, and when you look at that scene, the, the line he's talking about is friendship. It's personal conversation. Right. It's like he, yeah, he almost said some things that were personal to me, but he never quite does, which I, and I really like him for that, but he stinks. He has a smell and you know, maybe he does. I don't know that they don't really go into that in the film, but I, they don't show any reason why he should smell. There's no, he, they, they use soap. They, you know, they do all the things that people do and you got to think it's, it's probably like uh, so many, like our, per, like the, the high end perfume industry. I mean, is there really anything special going right. on with super expensive perfume? Is there like huge difference? You know, it's just that really expensive perfume contains ingredients that are more rare and hard to get. And so you can identify them with the status, you know, uh, I mean, how many, how many foods delicacies are, so hard to get into at first, you know, they, they, they taste so strange right. uh, when you fur on the palate, but you know that they're rare and you know, that, that, that secret ingredient in the sushi that makes it, you know, cost 10 times as much is it, maybe it tastes kind of good. Maybe it's, but it's different. It's rare. It's like there was something in Mr. Kim's odor that wasn't rich. It, it wasn't expensive. Right. And he could identify that. Uh, I, yeah. And, and, and and conversely, the the rich family, the Park family, isn't cruel per se, right? And in fact, they are also exploited by the Kim family, who exploits their um, gullibility, yeah. their sort of simpleness, or at least especially the the wife of the household. And so they're not; it's not so black and white who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. In fact, what it really just illustrates is the endless class struggle amongst different statuses of class uh, so much so that mr kim in the end ends up in the subterranean basement right yeah and um, his son vows to uh, work real hard and and um, save up enough money to one day buy that house and all his dad will have to do is just come up the stairs right and um that's the fantasy that so many people within the working class hold on to that is just that. It's a fantasy, right? Uh, there was a video that I watched after the fact that was sort of breaking down some of the components of Parasite. Uh-huh. And they calculated based on the status of Kevin uh, Kevin Kim, what how long he'd have to work in order to save up. It was like 500 years. Yeah. Something like that, you know? Like you get this glimmer of like uh, – uh, uh, Bong Joon gives you this this glimmer of hope, like maybe one day he will work hard enough. And then, you know, it cuts to a shot of the kid in his half subterranean basement, you know, like just like, again, that sliver of window. And you realize this kid is never his, 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 his kids never going to achieve this. His father has been doomed to death, a slow, lonely death away from his family. And this dream that this kid has is never going to come to reality. It's a very, very intense film. Uh, you know, that film that you walk away from afterward, you're like, it just sticks with you, you mm-hmm. know? And 
not only because of just the message, but how it's executed with the, you know, with a film focusing so much on class warfare and, you know, vertical and, and descending movement, you have like, um, you have the constant sets of stairs and sharp edges and all the production design. You have, uh, you know, literally the Park family living at the top of the hill and the Kim at the bottom of the hill. The rainstorm sequence is fantastic. And I also thought it did a really good job with the shot selection of making the Kim family feel like they were rodents. Like in the way it was shot, like real high angles looking down in these sort of mazes and, and closed, closed walled areas that makes you feel like they're scurrying, you know, in the way that they're operating. Yeah. It, and, and like, you know, rodents in a city, they were, they were a lot more susceptible to being harmed by natural forces. Like you're talking about that, the rain scene, right. their house floods and how different that is for the two families where, you know, what, one of them, it's like, she's literally just sitting on the toilet seat to hold it down while shit as just a, like splatters out fills of it. their place. And she's, it's the only high point in the house that's not flooded. So she's just, that's where she's also having her cigarette, her little bit of enjoyment while, <laughs> while shit is like splattering out of the, out of the toilet. And then back at the park house, it's, uh, this amazing thunderstorm that they're watching from their huge windows. And, uh, well, well even next, afterwards, yeah, next Mrs. Day, it's so beautiful how it's cleared out everything. And it's so clean cleared out the pollution, yeah. right? Washed it away. That's what Mrs. Park says. She's sitting on the phone while Mr. Kim is driving her saying, Oh, the rain, it cleared away all the pollution. Yeah. And then, you know, just a moment prior, what you see, what it actually did is it, is it washed away poor families, you know, washed them into, you have this juxtaposition between her and saying, oh, look at this beautiful blue skies. And just a few hours prior, the whole Kim family and many families like them have been washed into homelessness. You know, they're living in gymnasiums and like fighting. There's a scene, there's a brief scene that's not even like focused on where they're fighting over clothes, you know, yeah. like all the all the sort of um, all the homeless people are fighting over clothes. So it did such a great job about showcasing how the different classes are so willing to tear one another down to even maintain because due to the fear of, of loss of the, the little bit of status they have, which I thought was really funny. Then, then what you have is, is this sort of highlighted by this guy who's clearly, you know, trying to tear other things down so that he can achieve some minuscule amount of attention and status amongst his peers. He was also really angry that Joker didn't win. You're still talking about that guy. But <laughs> well, only in so much so that, guy. like, yeah, only in so much so that, like, again, there's more irony in all of this, in this rant, right? Because, you know, that rant to yeah. me exemplifies exactly what Parasite was trying to talk about. But it's also ironic because his big thing was he wanted Joker to win, which is another movie that focuses, you know, in its own way on class struggle. Sort of, yeah. I, I Joker used that as a uh, vehicle for the plot of the Joker. But I, I think Parasite, in a much deeper way, used that to tell a, uh, a story and to get us to look inward. And that, that's pretty different. I, I don't think we should talk about YouTube Man much more because we are discussing like a masterpiece of cinema at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I... I feel like there is a bit of a class difference there that we, we just don't need to talk about this guy. <laughs> he's not important. Well, man. so it's, but no, he's not. But you know what is important is, is to draw some parallels between what Parasite did and what Joker did. Because uh, 
I think I think I'm gonna give Joker more credit than you're giving it. I I do think that it did address class warfare uh, in a far more heavy-handed way, far more on the nose, um, from from the from a more individualistic perspective, more from the perspective of Arthur Fleck and this idea of mental illness and and how um, how when a working class is denied its basic dignities. Yeah. You know what can occur, and I think with in Joker, what you get is a movie that's sort of warning you of the dangers of denying people like the most simplest of basic dignities. Whereas Parasite is more, it's far more complex than that. You know, it's it's like you don't really see there is a moment of rage within Parasite, but it's a moment, and it doesn't change anything. Whereas Joker is a little bit more of a throwback to the French Revolution. You've got people uh, rioting in the streets. It's this big sort of thing, right? It's this big revolution that has started. Whereas in Parasite, in the end, they're all exactly where they began. Well, it, yeah. and, and if not in a lower pl- position. Don't get me wrong. Joker is a great film. Fantastic film. I'm just saying that Parasite is a much smarter, more complete idea to me. And... Um, there's just a lot more there uh, cinematically oh, like, as a work of art. I think it, it offers a lot more uh, the way, what you were talking about. you you, it sticks with you. Like we, my fiance and I, uh, we, my fiance and I, we watched it and we talked about it for hours afterwards. It was so much fun to talk about all the stuff in there. Uh, there was so much happening. It was really cool. You know, it's, it's a film. You keep referring to class struggle. Okay. I would say it has a lot more to do with dignity because you're right. There is in the Kim family this uh, attempt to climb up, you know, on the backs of others, you know, to to make their way up to something economically greater than what they have. But more so, there's this there's a strange attempt to it's it's about people trying to kind of trying to keep their dignity, you know, in in a way. It's sure. and, and dignity is hard to come by, especially in times of overpopulation and resource scarcity it's it becomes something that we have to we have to focus on and 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 i would say that there is a character that's the most dignified in the film would be um in a in a weird way the housekeeper and her husband because hmm. they are content they're not ashamed of themselves there's no lying with them there there is a little bit of uh hiding and sneaking but you know, she's not hurting anyone. Uh, he's just down there and he's so grateful for what he has. And then every once in a while, they get the opportunity to come out and listen to the jazz records and dance in the sunshine when the family's out of town. And it's these, this other family that they can't be satisfied. Like they're a very, they have each other. They have a lot of love among each other, but they're struggling and they're having a hard time. And they, it's when they start taking this, um, this more sinister uh, mode of, of coming up of and dishonest lying about themselves, their jobs, you know, uh, getting other people fired so they could take their jobs. That's when things start getting really rough for them. And, and it's, it's like, I think a really good example is that in the beginning of the film, there's this homeless guy that keeps peeing on their window when he gets drunk. Or I don't know if he's homeless, but he's just some drunk. He keeps peeing on their window and they really don't even, they don't like it. They complain about it, but they don't do anything about it. They never go out there and chase them off, you know, but then a little later, once they've got a little money, they are willing to chase them off. But more than that, 
you think about the way they react to a man literally pissing on their house in the beginning of the film versus later on when they find out that a man, a poor man is merely existing, not peeing, not, not hurting anything, not making it dirty, not anything, just existing in a space that they want to be theirs. They're ready to call the police and they end up killing his wife and all this horrible stuff. But it's not, it's not just a matter of, um, existing. He poses a threat, you know, by, by his, by his very existence, he poses a threat. I think, you know, the, the original housekeeper and her husband, they're content because they're the parasites to this family in this house. They're the ones who have been who are able to gleam off a little bit, a little bit of that shine that the parks have. In fact, her husband living in the basement has a very unhealthy obsession with Mr. Parks to the point that when he's about to die, he yells the only thing that he he's able to really muster up as a sort of dying breath is respect yeah. like he's got this sort of like he doesn't even know these people but he just has this idea because they represent an ideal right and they're able to sort of live off the fringe of that and when the when the kims move in and they're living off the fringe of this that's when you see the initial conflict between the two yes the kims use some underhanded tactics to sort of climb their way out of this shithole but like they're literally folding pizza boxes to even like get enough to have like cell phone reception, right? Um, and while you could certainly look at the the man living in the basement of the park's house as like seemingly more content, he also has access to coming upstairs. He can even for a brief moment walk up the stairs when he wants uh-huh. to, right? So literally, what you have is these two people again. It's the lower classes fighting over the crumbs of the park family you know it's two families who are willing to sacrifice their morality in order to hold on to the scraps that are left behind by the bourgeois class you're calling the housekeeper and her husband parasites because they live down in the basement or he lives down in the basement and they're you know they're siphoning resources Mm -hmm. from the family but there's another way of looking at that that's i don't think it's parasitic at all because he, the only reason he's in the basement is because they don't pay that housekeeper enough to have an apartment for her husband. Right? Because oh, you know, she has I somewhere to live. She lives in the house 24-7. And think of all she does for them. And she doesn't have enough resources. They're not as big a part of her of their family as she is. They're not going to give her enough money to be able to support her husband. Oh, yeah. Well, what's funny is uh, in an interview with Bong, the director Bong... Uh, the director Bong Joon Ho, he said a more apt name for his movie would have been Parasites. Yeah. Because each class represented are parasites in different points of the films and continuously throughout the film. The Park families are absolutely parasites on the labor that they utilize to maintain their standard of living. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? Like so yeah, the the parasitic nature exists across all the the, the different classes, and I think that's really the point that is trying to be illustrated with the film. Whereas in a film like Joker, what you get is this idea that like, if you just treat like the rich are the bad guys and the poor is the good guy, sort of, and you get violence erupting, right? It's kind of like, like the, when you're 19, when you're a 19 year old little punk rocker and you read like Marx for beginners, uh-huh. you know, and like you're angry and it's all about revolution. What parasite is, is a far more informed 
a far more complex and detailed look at class struggle in a way that I feel is a little bit more meaningful to the time and age that we're looking at right now. And I think that um, while far more subtle than a movie like Joker, I think that's why it's resonated so deeply with people because it's easy to just get immediately angry, right? And And when Joker came out, I saw a lot of people talk about how like, it was like the bro version of of class struggle. I think Parasite is a movie that touches on all those same points, but does so in a manner that makes you feel it. Because how many of us uh, dream about winning the lottery? Uh, dream about getting that job? If I just work hard one day, I'll have that nice vehicle or I'll have that nice something else, Right. But, but we know the realities of it. The realities for 99% of people is that they never are able to vertically move up the class ladder. And while it's nice to fantasize with movies like Joker about this idea that the revolution is coming, we're all revolutionaries, like, it's not real. That's just, that's just what Scorsese would say is an amusement park. A very good amusement park. It's a good ride. But with Parasite, you get something that I think is just a far more deeper... Uh, embedded sort of thought that we all have to sort of recognize is part of our reality. And I think that the reason both of those movies have been sort of the two talks of the town for the last year is because we're living in an age where class struggle is an actual real topic that we're talking about in our real lives and in our politics and, and is something that we're using to sort of define where our future is going. All right. Yeah. Uh, sure, that's that's true. Um, I'm sorry, I, I keep I'm getting thrown off that we keep going back to Joker. Uh, there's there's so many cool things to say about Parasite, and I I just I I don't think there's a strong relationship between the two films. I think Joker is a comic book story that's just kind of a fun idea of maybe this is how the Joker came about, and it uses it's a good story because it uses some real world issues to explain itself. But Parasite is something much stronger that is like. It's it's a it's it's a very clever film because it it's not it's not a short film. It's a little longer than two hours, but that's not a ton of time if you think about uh, st- real storytelling, a novel, you know, uh, miniseries. You know, so, so, uh, the, the format this day is get, these days is getting so much larger with these uh, Netflix series and stuff like that. To to see a a film that just uses the two and a half hours it has so perfectly to tell you to point out something and, and get inside your head and really make you uh, think about what is what you're watching here, you know, because it, it's so easy at first to say this is a film where obviously a rich family is they're not sympathetic enough and uh, look at all the suffering that causes and look how much they could help these people, but they don't. But you you, uh, you have to think of it like these are human beings and there's something I mean, they're not real human beings. They're fictional characters, but there's something that they're trying to show you in this film, like that is what every everybody's trying to obtain, obtain something. You know, you've got in the basement survival, guys just trying to survive, man, just trying to stay alive. Him and his wife. Right. You've got in the Kim family, uh, better stability, uh, more financial gains. You know, they're they're trying to get that but and i feel like in the in the park family there's something getting back to that dignity thing it's like there's something in theirs where 
they're they're also looking for something. They're also struggling. But what they're going after is probably the hardest thing to obtain because they they want to be happy. They want to be content. They want to be interesting. You know, she she needs for her little six year old boy to be an artist. The mother she needs that for because right. if he's not, if he's just some weird kid that's doing a bunch of weird stuff. What's that say about her? She doesn't work. She doesn't have anything going on. You know, she needs her daughter to get to get to be really smart and go to university. She needs to be able to throw good parties. You know, her husband, he needs to have he needs to be able to recognize that certain men stink and he doesn't. And he needs, you know, to have a to have this um, line in front of him that people know not to cross. Don't get into his business. Don't care about him, you know, because he's not going to care about you. He he needs certain conditions to be met so he can have dignity. You know, their their daughter needs love so much that just the first boy that goes into her room, her math tutor is like, she's coming on to him and trying to get a thing going. And, right. and she actually cares for him. That Ramona pointed out a really cool thing that like in, in the end of the film, uh, the boy gets hit by a... She carries him uh, away. She carries him away. She yeah, he gets hit with away. that rock and he gets yeah. a massive head injury. And as all of this chaos is going on and there's stabbings going outside in the backyard... She has carried him up from the basement and is like carrying him to safety when, you know, when you would expect a character like the, in a film like that to be more cynical to get just try to save herself. Right. And um, at the same time, you know, the boy, uh, the, the little artist boy that they're celebrating within his weird, you know, Indian party and all that stuff. Like he sees the uh, the homeless basement dwelling man again. And we're we're reminded that this throughout the film that's referring to this traumatic incident in his house, which is really in reality, nothing more than just seeing a poor person in his home. And that's like the sure, worst thing that's right. ever happened to him. But uh, no, getting back to my point though, it's like but, everybody, everybody's trying to get something to be happy. And that's, I think what this is really about is it's like you need to, it's to me, the film was a reminder that like, we need to focus on that, our own internal happiness. What makes us happy, you know? And, and, and then you can't, get that if you're going to be stepping on other people and ruining other people's lives um you know because even even when the the kim family finally gets a chance to just settle down and like reap the rewards of what they've done they they get that night where the park family goes off camping yeah what do they Mm -hmm. do they just drink all the most expensive liquor get as drunk as they possibly can consume as much as they possibly can and they're still at each other's throats and moody and weird the whole night, you know, because it's like they well, really don't a, know how to telling, be happy. Well, there's a, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. I think you can't remove the economics from this idea of happiness. And there's a line in there that the filmmaker intentionally puts in that I think is speaks to this point, which is the the mother of the the, the wife of the Kim family says that um, money brings your, the ability to be nice. Uh-huh. That being nice is something that comes with wealth. And that when you're poor, you don't have that luxury. That is something that's paid for. Um, and I think part of the reason why all of these different classes betray each other and attack each other and fight against each other, it's not simply a matter of inner happiness. That's not a luxury these people have. To your point earlier, they lost all their possessions in a flood of shit. Yeah. Like it's hard to tell that the position of to be, to be able to tell a family that is like that, to just focus on finding their inner happiness is only can only be said from a position of looking down. That wasn't exactly the point I was 
making though. But 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 I, I, I yeah. understand that. But like, it's an important point because it is it is it is something that I think that the filmmaker is really trying to convey that this idea that this is not simply a matter of like trying to find happiness that some people are simply denied the ability to have dignity. They can't afford it. That the the that and um, not just because of just money purposes, but uh, climate change. You know, like the the flood is yeah. disproportionately affects people who are impoverished than people who are able to live at the top of the hill on the high ground. There are real contributing economic and social factors that keep families from the from the luxury of but dignity. I, I'm not saying I'm not and, saying that dignity is happiness, and I'm not saying that. Oh, if they would just focus on their inner happiness, they'd be okay. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what they're all trying to get at, and they don't know how to get there. I'm not saying that there's any. I don't have any advice for them. Uh, you know, you brought right. up the flood. The lowest point in the Kim family is not when their house is flooding and she's smoking a cigarette on a toilet that's spewing up shit beneath her. The lowest point is when they all have to go to work the next day. Yeah, and, and that's 100%. something that you don't see often. You don't see that expressed in stories or films often where that, that, that thing that only people who really have had to struggle financially understand that like sometimes it does not matter what happens in your life, death, divorce, breakup. I mean, we've all, we've all been there uh, in, in one way or another where it you've had something that's just floored you oh, and the very next you, day you're I'll at the you, pizza restaurant or, or something I'll terrible, an, smi- faking a smile. Absolute, I'll give you an absolute real world scenario. Um, I'm currently filming in uh-huh. Georgia. The last time I was in Georgia, I was shooting a film called Saving Zoe. We had a big prom scene that we're shooting in Augusta, Georgia. And in the middle of this prom scene during week one of shooting, I end my four-year marriage in the parking yeah, lot. Wow. Um, which was a decision that was difficult and no one, and I, I didn't walk out there with the intent of it. It just was the culmination of that conversation on the phone. Right. And I'm in the middle of a shoot day with like 150 extras. So I end this phone call and I've got to walk right back inside and continue working for three weeks, knowing that when I go home driving clear across country, that I'm not even going home to my home or at least not the home that right. I know. You know, and these are the things that it, that in like for the for the parks, that rainstorm like what did it do? It washed out their camping trip, yeah. Yeah. right? A minor inconvenience for them, but for the Kim family and for those like them, it devastated their lives. And to your point, then the real indignity comes when they've got to come to work the next day and and pretend like everything is fine so as not to offend their employers. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a it's a very complex, very cool movie, and um, I, I think it speaks. I think it speaks a lot to where we're at right now. We talk about it with horror, but I think the the point, you know, is very much exemplified right now in that we're living in a society, we're in the middle of an election cycle where class status and class struggle is a talking point for candidates. Right? It's a real live concern that people have and for this movie and i know you don't want to talk compare it so much to joker but for two movies to be nominated for best picture both dealing in their own very unique ways with with class struggle is is i think is really telling of the stat the place that we're at as a society right now 
and how that is something that is really very much on the forefront and when you look at the election cycle and you look at the infighting between like democratic candidates and uh, maybe less the candidates themselves but their followers for sure it reminds me of that struggle that you see between the housekeeper's family and the park f- and the kim family yeah you know? it's like that saying that uh, a- fox news exists to con- convince the uh, middle class that the poor people are the reason for their pro- or that the lo- to convince the middle class that the poor people or the lower class is the reason for their problems basically or to to get them to that's ignore it. the that's upper exactly class. That's exactly it. I I hear you. I I don't necessarily see uh you know the the we're in a society kind of uh things that we're saying here um I I don't really know how that's different than any point in history uh, like seems like that's always been a struggle uh, always been a thing uh, oh, point of contention it's always been a struggle um, but i think maybe we're a little bit more at least in my lifetime a little bit more conscientious i yeah cuz I, I don't think there is a uh, we're in a more conscientious thing i think it's I, and especially when you look at history this had you know so many different names for different classes and outcast societies and all kinds of stuff but uh i i think that i don't know i just i i hope that this film isn't just seen as a, oh, it's a tale of class struggle and the bourgeoisie because it's it's so much more than that. It's a film about humanity. It's a film about the 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 traps we can all get into because you you can lose your humanity if you pursue the wrong things. And it's the the fact that there was so it was so rare that you saw an actual genuine happy person in this film. That I think is very a very important detail. I, I agree with all those points, and I would say they're they're um, they're forever linked to each other. So it's it's not simply it, it is it is absolutely a film about class struggle by the filmmaker's own admission. But but all those points that you're bringing up are interwoven in that struggle, and um, and you're right. I think that this is this is very layered and complex, but. Uh, it's it's intentionally so when you have a generation of people who feel like in modern era and by modern era I say since like the 1950s onward that we're living in a time where the ability for vertical movement is at an all-time low amongst a larger proportion of the people it makes sense that movies like this speak out to us and connect with us even if they're not the they're not the typical movie that people tend to gravitate towards. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I guess the, it's it's not that I'm trying to say ignore the class struggle thing. Definitely not. That's that's obviously there. What what I'm saying though is there are other directions that family could have tried to move in, that may have been a lot more beneficial to them. You know, they were obviously very Maybe. creative people, and there were other there's other directions besides just getting good at folding pizza boxes and things that, you know, that they could have focused their, their energy on, but they instead chose to go for a bigger score, uh, involving conning this gullible family. And, um, I think that that was, it was, it was, a. I, I, I they're not, I'm not saying that they're evil in doing so. I understand what you're saying. Like, that their alternative was a horrible basement apartment that can flood and destroy all your stuff at any moment. What I'm saying is that because they had a mindset that they needed to get to that thing, you know, you know, the whole, the whole conversation about like, Oh, you look so at home in the bath and Oh, they will be your, you know, you can marry her and we'll live in this house. And, and just the way they, they associated that with happiness. It was, 
it was tragic really because it well, wasn't like it's not necessarily it, even their fault they just they they don't absolutely yeah they not. don't have a lot to focus I, on but in fact that, that was unfortunate it, it reminds me uh it reminds me of a um george carlin line from one of his last i think it might actually be his last yeah. stand-up and he says it's called the american dream because you have to be asleep to believe it and you're absolutely right the the drug of that house that that the 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 dangerous the danger of of fantasizing about this existence uh is is alluring and it's dangerous and it's toxic and it it leads people this allure of of financial wealth can lead people to leave their morality behind you're right they're extremely creative people now would they have been given any opportunity to show this outside of a con hard to say right we don't we don't get into enough of that in the movie but these were clearly talented, talented people who were living in squalor, who had to ne- negotiate for their meager wage of folding pizza boxes. And the second that they got this sense that they could live this this high society life, it it um, it, it poisoned the well, and it led them down a path of ultimately of destruction. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Check out Parasite, guys. It's it's fantastic. Well, no, if you're, it if is you're fantastic. saying check out Parasite, that's super bad, you guys. We told you to pause the show earlier, and you really should have watched oh, it. Like, right? Yeah, like thirty minutes. Well, ago. Well, but maybe some people want. Maybe some people want to hear our review before they watch it for themselves. Maybe, <laughs> maybe listening to our review will help them be put in the proper context you, to view the film. You so described the a, very last. Your you choice, guys. Told the very last scene in the film, like you described it, like shot for shot. <laughs> Some people like that. I'm not judging. Don't kink shame that. <laughs> so anyways, guys, if you haven't watched Parasite already, check it out. It's an amazing film. Uh, I'm very happy that it won Best yeah. Picture. I hope that it will open the door for more foreign films to get some attention. Uh, I think it was the director of Parasite who said, you know, once you get past that one inch little thing at the bottom of the screen, it opens the doors to just so many more uh, pieces of art. And I think that's extremely telling. And you, you've always been someone who's sort of led the charge amongst our friends of watching foreign films and, and, you know, just listen to the podcast. You have such a diverse knowledge of films from, you know, Asia and and different parts of the world. I I forget that that's a thing that there's people out there who go, Oh, subtitles. No, thanks. I forget that that's even a thing. You know why? I'll tell you, uh, this is one of my theories. Um, because you have to pay attention. Yeah. Like you can't be, if you're on your phone watching, watching a movie with subtitles, you're going to miss a lot of information. So you have to commit to like those two hours of watching a movie. And for a lot of people, they just don't do that anymore for, for better or for worse. Yeah. yeah well, that might be what it need, what people need right now to really get back into cinema in a better way. Cause people aren't paying enough attention, you know, and that's, that's important. And so, you know, maybe that could be a good training for watching, uh, films in your native language is, uh, watch some subtitled foreign language films and, um, learn how to pay attention to films again. And then next time you watch in uh, you know, the next American release, just, no phone, no no food, nothing. Just watch it. So with that, Matt, why don't we, before we go to our mailbag, why don't we look in at the results of our Last Action Hero tournament? Uh, yes, but just real quick, uh, obvious five yes. out of five tusks from both of us. I'm pretty, yeah. Oh, yes. Wow, we have to do a tusk <laughs> yeah. rating. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Five out of five tusk. Absolutely. This is right there. If I were to put tusk at the top shelf of my movies, you know, like if I, if I were to organize my vast dvd and blu-ray collection in order of like importance uh-huh. parasite and tusk would be right at the top of the shelf they would be the upper they would be the park family of films 
and then Joker would be on the shelf. Interesting. Down, down, down a couple levels. All right. So this week, battling against each other in our action film tournament, we had uh, in the mat bracket the '90s action film that no one's ever heard of, Rage, yeah. with Gary Daniels, Rage. <laughs> but, versus Jackie Chan's American foray. Speaking of a, a, a foreign talent making a break into America, Jackie Chan from Rumble yes. in the Bronx, which I think was his first American. Uh, uh, first English speaking role. I'm correct? not sure. Uh, felt like it. It was the first. It's the first one I remember that got into mainstream theaters and had like trailers on TV yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. So do you want to do you want to put a wager as to which one? Rumble this in the Bronx. Win? Yeah, pretty large margin, forty-two to thirteen. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Thirteen people. Who's, some people hey. who've seen Rage out there. Good for you. Some you, people who liked Rage yeah. don't sleep on it. So, uh, and in the Dave bracket, we had. John Wick versus Casino Royale. What do you think, Matt? Was it? Do we do we get a Royale with cheese, man, or do we like the Wick? John Wick, absolutely. Everybody loves John Wick, man. Yeah, forty little a little closer, forty four to thirty one though. Oh wow, yeah, that is closer than I think. I thought John Wick would just be the Leviathan thrashing its tentacles and smashing it, boats off the shore, and uh, it still maybe it's got it moves on to the next round. That's right. So. So, uh, guys, always remember, check our Instagram, vote every day, Monday through Friday. We put it up there. Um, next week in the Dave bracket, we've got the dark horse, I think, in this entire uh, tournament, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. That's... With uh, a swashbuckling affair with uh, cannons and ships and stringing, swinging on ropes and sword fighting and a drunk Keith Richards pirate-esque dude um, going up against... Arnold in Conan the Barbarian. Oh man, it's it's Conan. I, I'm going. I'm, it's got. That's my prediction. It's going to be Conan. Uh, know. You know, John Depp's real popular right now again. Pirates, yeah, it's, it's good. It's popular. It's a. Uh, it's a. It's a bit of a. I don't know uh, if if you like um, if if you consider the drinking music of david bowie to be edgy like the, if, if you prefer his industrial music to nine inch nails or something i, I don't know where i'm going with this it's, but it's like a it's a okay. flamboyant sort of action it's a prettier I, action i, I, actually, I don't know if yeah okay i yeah. i do actually prefer david bowie's industrial era to nine inch nails i think yeah well then yeah earth I, thing is a great album it's a very good album. No, I'm just saying. If, Hello, Space uh, Boy. If that's the what note. you want in industrial music is Bowie's experiments in that. Maybe that's Pirates a, of the Caribbean a, is your. You, you know, I know, I know. Pirates was sort of a little scene indie film, but I really think that if their marketing campaign had said, uh, "If you like, if you like, uh, this is this is the the David Bowie industrial age of action films," it would have done much better. Yes. In, instead, they marketed it as the the number one ride-based film of all time ever <laughs> yeah where was Martin scorsese then yeah, and then in the matte bracket we have another classic film rambo first blood i guess it's just it's just called first, first blood, blood but everyone yeah, knows it as rambo versus mad max fury road oh man talk about every frame of painting um i'm gonna predict fury road i think it's uh it's I it's just perfect. So. It's a perfect action film, man. I can't get. Ooh, can, can you imagine? I I think it's not outside of the world of possibility that we might get 
a John Wick versus Fury Road. I hope we do. I, I we shouldn't be talking like this. We're trying to. It's like we're trying to influence the votes right now. No, but, no. But uh, so no, don't 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 take it that way, guys. Still, you you know, we want your opinions, but absolutely, God, Fury Road is so fun. So again, it's up to you, the populace, the the proletariat, to vote every week or every day on these on this tournament until we decide once and for all, without a shadow of a doubt, no hanging chads. No shadow company rigged election. Who is the greatest action film? What is the greatest action film of all time? And Matt, we turn our votes over to the people. How about we turn it over to the people to ask us some questions? Uh, Yes, mailbag questions. Sounds good. Questions from the corrupt. Sam V. Blair asks, what book would you like to see turned into a movie? Do you have one? Do you want to go first? I do. I don't remember. The, the, here's a part. So there's this book that I bought. It was one of those like clearance books. So you buy like half off books. And I don't remember the name of it. So I feel really bad. Um, but I don't want to call it a coming of age tale because that's not accurate. Because it's about like dudes kind of having a midlife crisis. So I guess it's like a, a returning to age book maybe. It's about these guys that used to have a band back when they were young and uh, it's been ages since I read it, so I'm going to do a terrible job trying to describe this. But they something occurs, and they get the band back together, but they're like all in their their late 30s, 40s now, and like they're all kind of out of shape and and balding, and like have jobs and whatever. And for one reason or another, they kind of become a sensation again. They go on tour, and it's it's just about them trying to like live in this reclaimed youth and glory. It's oh, it's a book that I always thought would be really cool to show on screen, like an indie fair. Like it, for some reason, this has nothing to do with them, but it reminded me of the Descendants. You know, yeah. like I just as I like as I picture this band, I picture like Milo and like uh, what's the drummer's name from uh, the Descendants? Bill something Stevenson or yeah, I think so. It just reminded me of that, like when the Descendants got back together and they were like all professional dudes now and like not quite that young punk rock look but they were still great remember uh-huh. when like when uh what was the album that came out was it it wasn't my it was after milo goes to college was it thank you it was or, the oh what was that album called with like i'm the one on it you're talking about yeah 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 uh milo something <laughs> yeah milo was something milo yeah, it was great that album but that was a great album yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was reminding me of, and I thought that'd be really cool. I don't, I, st- I feel like there's just not enough movies about musicians, like good movies, uh-huh. you know. And it's such a it's such a unique um, lifestyle that people, especially like like I'm not talking like Motley Crue and like Kiss, although I would fucking kill for a Kiss movie. Um, but like, but like you know, like K- get Kiss in the van, the you know, like Park. You could always watch that. Yes, and I will, but I'm talking about like a biopic, <laughs> oh, <okay>. you know. <laughs> but I'm talking like a biopic about like a, a get in the van type movie, you know. Like, yeah. where's the where's the Black Flag story or like uh, the Misfit story, like that era where like these massively influential bands that really were not that successful at the time. And uh, there's great documentaries, the Sex Pistols, the Ramones. There's these great documentaries about all these bands, but not like scripted stories. And I just think that you want like the dirt, like the Motley Crue movie, the dirt, but you want like punk bands and stuff. Yeah, but good and not directed by the director of Jackass. Oh, what did he really? Is that who that was? Yeah, Jeff. Jeff, uh, what's his name? Jeff Tremaine. Oh, Jeff okay. Tremaine directed the Dirt, and um, it's a talk about class step downs. 
It was originally going to be David Fincher who directed The Dirt, uh-huh. and they, they landed at Jeff Tremaine. So that should tell you what I think about The Dirt. <laughs> uh, well, that, that sounds great to me. What What is the name of that book? I think I you might have said I, it, but I, I missed it. No, I can't. I don't know it because I'm not at home, and I can't like <laughs> oh my God. I can't put it off the shelf. So okay. maybe when I go home in like a month or two, I'll look it up and, and tell you guys what it is. But I, I can't wow, remember dude. it, and I wouldn't even know how to look it up because it was just like some – some book that I found that you know didn't have a lot of like acclaim. But so basically, it would Dave, be that one. Dave wants a, a movie about a good band. That's what. Yeah, made, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's, it. that's but one that's based on a good book. So okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that's, that's easy to do. So someone should do that. Pick soon. one of those. Be good. Uh, I or don't. Like Marilyn Manson story, maybe. I don't want for oh Marilyn Manson movie would be fun. Yes. What about, what about a Marilyn Manson movie starring Johnny Depp? Nah, he's too old, man. Must be a young man. Yeah, they can make him look younger. Look at De Niro and the, the Irishman. Skarsgård. He could do it. Yeah, which one? Uh, it, Any of them? Pennywise. Pennywise Skarsgård. Yeah, he could okay. do it. Okay, yeah. His um, real name is Pennywise now. He changed it. He <laughs> yeah, Pennywise Skarsgård. And his dad, who's going to be in Dune, he's going to be Baron Harkonnen. So I'm going to call That's him cool. Baron Skarsgård. I uh, would like to not see a film made from this book because there already is a film made from this book. And that Dude. film is called John Dies at the End. And it's pretty good. Oh, it's yeah. fun. It's okay. It's a really cool, like, pop horror, fun horror film. Comedy horror. But, man, if you've ever read the David Wong, John Dies at the End trilogy, you know that there is a lot lacking from that film. Uh, how, how does it end? Um, it ends with them going to another dimension and deciding not to save these people. It's hilarious. Oh, uh, a joke there because it's called John Dies at the End. Oh no, John dies a lot. <laughs> John, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. John John dies and he dies and he comes back to life and it's yeah, it's hilarious. Like you haven't ever seen this movie where he like he, he no, calls I, David I, on the cell phone and he's like, "Am I dead yet?" <laughs> he's like talking to no, him. No, it's one of those movies that I know got a lot of buzz for a moment and then you know, often is the case with me. Like if I miss it, like I've had. Come to Daddy, which is Elijah Mo- a Wood movie that uh-huh. I've been meaning to watch for like a week, opened on a tab that I just haven't gotten to yet. So, well, I've I've never seen a story series explain supernatural events, hell, all kinds of things in such a really cool practical way. Uh, because you know, if there is a multiverse, you have to imagine that there's all kinds of crazy experiments and weird stuff going on in all these other dimensions. You know, just like ours has strange things happening in it and maybe uh, somewhere out there some some of the people have like found ways to traverse the dimensions and you know like if you saw some if you saw a dimension uh if you saw into another reality where okay digital technology didn't get advanced a different sort of biological technology got advanced instead so computers were made by messing with the genetic makeup of cows until until you could grow big giant computer machines uh okay. automobiles were never made uh, instead giant spiders were bred that we could ride in, in the weird abdomens of and you know if you if you saw into a place like this uh just as technologically advanced as us but it was all biological would you not think you were seeing demons and hell and oh, monsters of yeah but it's pe- but it's all people right and and so that's the cool thing about john dies at the end is like these these two friends uh kind of deadbeat losers in their mid 20s uh that live in a small shitty town discover this drug that allows them to see extra dimensional beings and demons and all kinds of monsters and they kind of become like the uh 
de facto monster fighters of this town. And all three books. John dies at the end. This book is full of spiders. Seriously, dude, don't read it. What the hell did I just read? All three of those books are just so much fun, man. And David Wong's imagination is just incredible. So I don't want to see another John Dies at the End movie. I want a series on like Netflix or Hulu or something. Like I want one of the big streaming services, HBO. I don't care who does it, man. I want someone to do it right and just make this open-ended series that's just tons of David Wong and John adventures. And I think that would be badass. Or who do you want to see to direct this? Because I have an idea. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Who do? Who do you have in mind? David Lynch. Lynch. I I couldn't trust Lynch with it. I'm sorry. Go weird man. He's Go totally weird. weird, and he could pull it off. I mean, Cronenberg would probably do it more justice. Honestly. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. But uh, God, I love those books. If you haven't read all, th- go and get all three of them, man. You will have so much fun. You'll be laughing your ass off. I mean, this shit. It's hilarious. It's brilliant and uh whoever david wong is because that's not his name that's an alias whoever the hell he is he's amazing maybe it's uh david lynch it's not david lynch (laughs) i'm sure of that he's david lynch is great but he's not near as funny as david wong okay fair enough next question sam v blair also asks why is matt not on twitter oh what you want to answer this one (laughs) no you tell me why you're not on twitter I've been trying to get you back on Twitter. I don't know why. Yes, share my misery. It it missed me. I don't know. I somehow I skipped it. Skip. You know where I am. You know what niche I fell into. TikTok. I no. I'm with all the old folks. I'm I'm in the comment section of the local newspaper's Facebook. I go to oh. I go to the Austin American Statesman to, uh, Facebook page to see what articles they've highlighted. I'm I'm a subscriber. You have to be a subscriber. So yeah, so, right. so I read the articles and then I hop back over to the comments section and I talk shit to Trump supporting boomers. And that's, you could do this on Twitter. I you know. Understand. I'm aware that that's pretty much the Twitter experience. It's just I'm no, no, I'm here a, the, in the local paper you, instead. That's where I do this. And, and you have a Twitter. Yeah, there's a there's an account. That's right. What is it? it What's the you, handle? Do you want to give out your account? I, I, do, well, I don't know. You have yours out there, right? Yeah, mine's Davis Skirto, at Davis Skirto. I guess we yours could give mine is, out. Uh, yeah. I have to look it up because I don't even remember. <laughs> it's probably M. Lawrence McCoy. That's what everything is. That's my Instagram. It's my webpage. Uh, so that's probably my Twitter, right? It is uh, M. Lawrence McCoy. That's correct. Yeah, so if you, you want to follow Matt that on Twitter, he will never respond to you. Maybe he will. <laughs> Maybe one day you will. Yeah, I might, it's, yeah. Follow Follow at M. Lawrence McCoy to follow all of Matt's adventures that he won't post because he's too busy in the comment section of the Austin American Statesman arguing with Trump supporters. Honestly, I I, I might want to go over to Twitter soon because I'm getting pretty sick of that comment section because none of them motherfuckers read the articles. And I know that it's like, now listen, how are you going to comment all this bullshit when you didn't even read the damn article? Read people. And it, and we're all the way back to that idiot on YouTube now. This is all what Twitter and social media is now. A bunch of people commenting on shit they didn't even watch. Yeah. So you are perfectly prepared. <laughs> it's like it's like you went through, you just went through boot camp, son. If you can get through the comment sections of the Austin American Statesman, you can handle Twitter. All right. I'll think about it. I'll think about the it, Sam. The good thing about Thanks Twitter is... encouragement, Sam. I'm going to think about it, all right? The, the good thing about Twitter is you have a block button. Mm. Use it often. Use it wisely. Make it your friend. Okay. All right. Noted. I will consider all these things. So so hopefully we'll get Matt back on Twitter sometime soon. He can comment on 
Joe, Joe Bob Briggs upsetting people for calling a movie inspired by uh, hipsters and uh, Trump weird Trumpisms that are posted and God knows what else is on the Twitter. But uh, in the meantime, thank you guys for supporting us. Thank you for listening every week. Thank you for voting in the Action Hero Tournament. Uh, as always, we love and and appreciate all of your support and your comments and your contributions. We can't and would not do this without you. I, I got to say some of these people. <laughs> thank you. Oh, yeah. That's... If y'all may have noticed I was a little grumpy this episode, uh, Dave, I want to apologize. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> yeah, because I'm about to get married in two weeks. I've been working my ass off and uh, things are going great, but they're a little much right now. And uh, so thanks for bearing with me in this week where I'm uh, just a just a tad bit on edge. I can't drink. We usually drink during the show. I can't do that right now because I got a bunch of shopping to do later. <laughs> oh, no. so. Hey, I got to I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. So I'm I'm flying in for your wedding. Yes. I'm thinking of showing up on the Thursday e- Thursday evening before your wedding. Do you want to try to do the podcast? You're going to be way too busy. Oh, the n- couple days before the uh, before your wedding. Oh, that would be super cool. We could do it at the house. Huh. It would be the first time we'd ever done a podcast in the same room at the same time. And we could do it on Thursday? Y- yeah, I'll probably get in Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'll, I'll just try to fly in a little well, earlier. And I'm off all day Friday. Okay. Let's, I, I'm going to say maybe, a strong maybe. There's obviously got to talk to the lady because yeah, yeah, see what's enough. happening with family and all that stuff. But that would be fun. That would be maybe, so cool. Maybe so we, let's, let's maybe we get like a camera or maybe, Ooh. you know, what we could do be kind of dope. We could record our podcast as normal, but we could Facebook live feed yes. while we're doing it. Oh or yeah. Instagram live feed, whatever, which yeah. I, I don't know what kids watch. Periscope. They still thing. I don't think Periscope's still a thing. I think they went bankrupt. What do we TikTok at all? Oh, I don't know how TikTok works, but Vine, Vine around. Too short, eight seconds. Yeah, good point. Discord. Okay, I don't know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but anyways, we'll figure something out, guys. So we'll so in two weeks, get ready for Dave and Matt in the same room at the same time doing the podcast. Episode 60. Yes. It'll be episode 60. Episode 60. Perfect. If Matt's fiance says he can do it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Oh Fingers crossed. Tweet her. What's her tweeter? Twitter. Tweeter. What's her Twitter? What called. Yeah, what's her Twitter? What's Ramona's Twitter? <laughs> I'm not going to dox one? my fiance on the show. <laughs> I have no idea if she even has one. Honestly, but, uh, anyway, we should go. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. And as always, from Dave and Matt, adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Dave Forgot to Ask Me to Record an Outro, so this is what you get, Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.